0: Thanks for listening to this audio podcast from Redemption Life Church. Listen as Pastor Michael Cox teaches, "I shall finish the game." Before I even start, I want to uh, say something very specific. Um, I heard this this statement during worship. Play the man. Play the man. This, this statement is from 2 Samuel. I had, to, I had to sit down and look at some old notes to find this. 2 Samuel 10, verse 12. Starting in verse 9, when Joab saw the front of the battle was against him from before and behind, he chose all the choice men of Israel and put them in array against the Syrians. And the rest of the people he delivered into the hand of Abishai, his brother, that he might put them in array against the children of Ammon. And he said, if the Syrians be too strong for me, then thou shalt help me. But if the children of Ammon be too strong for thee, then I will come and help thee. Now listen to verse 12. Be of good courage, and let us play the men for our people, and for the cities of our God, and the Lord... Do that which seemeth him good. King James. Be of good courage. Let us play the men for our people and for the cities of our God. And the Lord do that which seemeth him good. So Joab is telling his brother Abishai, and they're going to fight back to back pretty much against two different armies. And he says, if they get the upper hand on me, you help me. And if they get the upper hand on you, I'll help you. But he says, be of good courage. Let us play the men for our people and for the cities of our God. And it's very interesting that when this scripture was being translated by King James, King James, woohoo! All right? When this scripture is being king, uh, translated by King James, this this quote actually came from um, a statement made at another time, and it fit this scenario. So they took this statement that Hugh Latimer made on the sixteenth of October in fifteen fifty-five. Hugh Latimer was a British clergyman. He was a bishop of Worcestershire. (laughs) did not say that word. And Protestant martyr, during the reign of Mary I of England, he was burned at the stake. Him and Nicholas Ridley, he called him Master Ridley, and so they're about to be burned at the stake, and Hugh Latimer looks over at Nicholas Ridley and says, Be of good comfort, Master Ridley, and play the man. We shall this day light such a candle by God's grace in England as I trust shall never be put out. Be of good comfort, Master Ridley, and play the man. We shall this day light such a candle by God's grace in England as I trust shall never be put out. And this language was used as the most appropriate way to translate what Joab was saying to Abishai. Let's play the man. Isn't that powerful? That it was used to translate that. It's crazy. Nevin Snyder. This kind of passion, determination, and strength is in you. And I say, play the man for your people, for the cities of our God, and the Lord do that which seemeth him good. Proud of you for all the good choices you've made in your life. Things that you've turned around and allowed God to turn around. But I call you today to burn so hot. It will be a light that shall never go out. He's calling you to burn hotter and hotter and hotter and hotter completely consumed with passion for your god amen, amen. <clears throat> now let's get into my sermon <laughs> wildly enough my upbringing Who I am as a person was shaped by faith, passion for God, sometimes religious duty that was a good thing in my life many times. Also, it was shaped by Western movies, some country songs. (laughs) Football coaches, baseball coaches, basketball coaches, and wrestling coaches, and track coaches. had a lot of coaches. Mom told me when I got to high school, you can't do all those sports you like to play. You have to pick. That was mean. I could have been Bo Jackson. (laughs) I know. One of these such sayings that I believe is something I hold and has taken on a spiritual emphasis to me is a statement from uh, a movie called Young Guns. Have you seen the movie Young Guns? If you haven't, don't go watch it. It's not a good movie. <laughs> <laughs> A good theme doesn't it stink so many movies have really good themes, but they 're just not they're just not good to watch somehow. There was a lot of movies with good themes that I was allowed to watch as a kid, and i don't know how in the world those slipped in, but I think it was probably not at my own house, probably at one of my aunt's houses. Barbara always says it was, she gets the blame for everything. Everything happened at her house. Some of that may be true. But there's this part in this movie. Oh, man, I could just go through movies like crazy that I think shape who I am. Why, Johnny Ringo, you look like someone just walked over your grave. Tombstone. I'll be your Huckleberry, right? Sometimes I just get mad at the devil, and I say, I'll be your Huckleberry. I don't know. You know, it just kind of shapes who I am. Anyways, why why devil? You look like someone just walked out of your grave. (laughs) Yep. Anyway, there's this place in Young Guns that um, Billy the Kid I forget his name, real name, not the actor, but the Billy something, Uh, Billy the Kid, they, uh, what happened is there were these crooked political schemes, this is a true story, that um, were taking land grabs and and putting people out and and doing, I mean, they were killing people, they were doing all kinds of stuff, and so these uh, bunch of outlaws were taken in by this man and they ended up killing him. The, the The political faction ended up killing him and taking his land. And so, this uh, these outlaws begin to hunt down these folks. And uh, it's old test. It's like Old Testament, guys. Okay, it's like Old Testament, right? They begin to hunt them down one by one. And so, there's a point in this. Let me get to the point. There's a point in this uh, movie where one of the outlaws has decided he's going to stop riding with them and going after these uh, outlaws. And, I mean, the bad, they're all outlaws, but, you know, the political faction. And so he says, I'm going to return back. I'm going to settle my life and all this stuff and live a peaceful life. And Billy the Kid uh, makes an analogy, oh, hey, makes an analogy about... The sky falling and how all these people react to it, but he ends it by saying, "This is terrible. Um, let's take a church vote. Oh, um, <laughs> we need some antennas. <laughs> uh, they cost about two thousand dollars. All in favor? Uh, Oppose? <laughs> look at that. That y'all were y'all were uh, y'all were pressured into that, weren't you?" <clears throat> I don't know what's going on, but I need to get to the point. So he says, I shall finish the game, my friend. I shall finish the game. And so many times, you know, just that raw, just, you know, we need to just have that perseverance, right? And um, no matter about all the great things they were doing, those outlaws killing people, the point is... And the point I took from it that helped shape who I was, watching this good versus evil movies and watching true grit in men that fought for what was right, was that I need to be tenacious, not give up and finish what I start. And so there's many times in my life where I want to give up and want to quit on certain things. Not every uh, thing that I've accomplished in life has been easy believe it or not, and some things have been hard. Planning a church was hard, and there's times that I wanted to quit, and there's times that that line would come back to me, and I would say, I'd look at my wife, and I'd say, I shall finish the game, my friend. I shall finish the game. And I would take solace in that and get motivated in that. And so today I would say, we shall finish the game, my friends. We shall finish the game. It's not how you start. It's how you finish. And we have to finish. If you'll look with me in Matthew 24. Jahan read this text a few weeks ago when she spoke. Matthew 24, verse 3. Starting in verse 3. Later when they arrived at the Mount of Olives, his disciples came privately to where he was sitting and said, tell us when... Will these things happen, and what supernatural signs should we expect to signal your coming and the completion of this age? Jesus answered, at that time, deception will run rampant. So beware that you are not fooled. For many will appear on the scene claiming my authority or saying about themselves, I am God's anointed. And they will lead many astray. You will hear of wars nearby and revolutions on every side with more rumors of wars to come. Don't panic or give in to your fears for the breaking apart of world systems is destined to happen. Don't panic or give in to your fears for the breaking apart of world systems is destined to happen. I listened to a prophetic word this week, and uh, many of you probably have. I don't remember the guy's name. I don't even necessarily want to point you to it at this point. But uh, till you're ready to listen to it and not be overcome with fear. Yeah. But there's a prophetic word about the coming months. And he had had a dream earlier in December. It's still about to ring up here, guys. I don't know. Um, you can take me down. I don't have to have a lot. Had a dream. And I don't, I don't, I don't want to go into all of it. But there was just one point of this where he said he was going to the bank to get change and he could not get change. Isn't that crazy, Jessica? You just told me that the same day I watched this video. And so I I looked at when this date was, this video was made and it was like two weeks ago and I just had a conversation with one of our employees, Jessica from the coffee shop and she had just told me the day I watched the video that for the last two weeks, every time we go to the bank, we can't get change. And so we all have to take turns going to different banks, like I'm going to my bank and get some change, and all these things to get changed. Isn't that crazy? For the breaking apart of, of world systems is destined to happen. Yep. But it won't yet be the end. It will still be unfolding. Nations will go to war against each other and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be terrible earthquakes Seismic events of epic proportion, horrible epidemics, and famines in place after place. This is how the first contractions and birth pains of the new age will begin. You can expect to be persecuted, even killed, for you will be hated by all the nations because of your love for me. Then many will stop following me and fall away. And they will betray one another and hate one another, and many lying prophets will arrive, rise, deceiving multitudes and leaving, leading them away from the path of truth. There will be such an increase of sin and lawlessness that those whose hearts once burned with passion for God and others will grow cold. But keep your hope. To the end, and you will experience life and deliverance. Yet, through it all, this joyful assurance of the realm of heaven's kingdom will be proclaimed all over the world, providing every nation with a demonstration of the reality of God. And after this, the end of this age will arrive. I don't want to break this. Passage down and try to proof text it and talk about what we see and what we don't see and where we are in this timeline and what's going on. I'll just suffice to say, you can see a lot of what our world looks like in this passage, right? And it says, Many will that passionately burned for God will grow cold. So there'll be a time when people who passionately burn for God will grow cold and be offended and turn away. But here's the cool thing. At the same time that some people will turn away, there'll be an influx of many because there'll be some who don't turn away but say, I shall finish the game, my friend. I shall finish the game. I will bring glory to my father's house. Because there's going to be a representation in every nation. And look, what does it say? This joyful assurance of the realm of heaven's kingdom will be proclaimed all over the world. Wait, while people are being persecuted and killed and a lot of people are getting offended? because they didn't have a deep enough foundation, some people are going to be talking about the joyful assurance, the amazing, beautiful kingdom that is so overwhelming and overflowing because when the systems of the world crash, it won't affect them at all because their faith wasn't in the systems of the world. If we intertwine our faith in God and put a bunch of the systems of the world in it, That's what Peter did. Man, we love you, God. We love you, God. Oh, I'm going to have to die. Oh, no way. Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. You're thinking with man's logic. You're not thinking about how this thing really is going down. So while some people are running away, some people are saying, put me in, coach. I'm ready to go. I've got my mind made up. I am confident that he that began a good work in me is faithful to complete it until the day of his return. So put me in. In in the message version, staying with it, that's what God requires. Stay with it to the end. You won't be sorry and you'll be saved. All during this time, the good news, the message of the kingdom will be preached all over the world. A witness staked out in every country, and then the end will come. Don't grow weary in doing good, for in due time we'll reap if we don't faint. Ecclesiastes 7 and 8 says the end of a matter is better than its beginning. Patience of spirit is better than haughtiness of spirit. Patience of spirit is better than haughtiness of spirit. Haughtiness of spirit is pride. Patience is better than pride. The end of a thing is better than the beginning, and patience is better than pride. If we're gonna get to the place where it's better than the beginning, it's gonna take patience. But pride will cause us to never get there. I wrestled with this, and I'm gonna share it today. It's not not in my notes, because I didn't want it in my notes. You guys, if you'll pull up, uh, I hope it didn't go. First Samuel fifteen. First Samuel fifteen. I want to paraphrase some of this so we don't have to read the whole chapter. Samuel comes to Saul and says that the Lord sent me to anoint you as king over his people. Now listen to the words of the Lord. I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel, how he set himself against him on the way while he was coming up from Egypt. Now go and strike Amalek and utterly destroy all he has. Do not spare him but put to death both man and woman, child, infant, ox, and sheep, camel, and donkey. Then Saul summoned the people, numbered them, goes out, and uh, verse 7 So Saul defeated the Am- Amalekites from Havilah, as you go to Shur, which is east of Egypt. He captured Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Paul and the people spared Agag and the best of sheep, the oxen, the fatlings, the lambs, and all that was good, and were not willing to destroy them utterly, but everything despised and worthless, that, that they utterly destroyed. Verse 10, Then the word of the Lord came to Samuel, saying, I regret that I have made Saul king, for he has turned his back from following me and has not carried out my commands." And Samuel was distressed and cried out to the Lord all night. Samuel rose early in the morning to meet Saul, and it was told Samuel, saying, Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he set up a monument for himself, then turned and proceeded on down to Gilgal. Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed are you of the Lord. I have carried out the command of the Lord." Blessed are you of the Lord, I've carried out the command of the Lord. But Samuel said, What then is the bleeding of sheep in my ears, and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? Saul said, They have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God, but the rest we have utterly destroyed. Then Samuel said to Saul, Wait, and let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. And he said to him speak. Samuel said, "Is it not true though you were little in your own eyes, you were made the head of the tribes of Israel, and the Lord anointed you king over Israel, and the Lord sent you on a mission and said, go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are exterminated? Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord, but rushed upon the spoil and did what was evil in the sight of the Lord?" Then Samuel said to Samuel. Then Saul said to Samuel, Samuel said to himself. No, Saul said to Samuel, I did obey the voice of the Lord and went on a mission which the Lord sent me and have brought back Agag, the king of Amalek, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took some of the spoil, sheep and oxen, the choicest of the things devoted to destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord your God at Gilgal. Samuel said, Uh, Has the Lord as much delight in burnt offerings as sacrifice as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of divination, and insubordination is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. I indeed have transgressed the command of the Lord and your words because I feared the people and listened to their voice. Now, therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may worship the Lord. But Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you for you have rejected the word of the Lord and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. As Samuel turned to go, Saul seized the edge of his robe, and it tore. So Samuel said to him, "The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today, and has given it to your neighbor who is better than you. Also, the glory of Israel will not lie, or the, also the glory of Israel will not lie or change his mind, for he is not a man that he should change his mind." Then he said, "I have sinned, but please honor me now before the elders of my people and before Israel, and go back with me that I may worship the Lord." Your God. So Samuel went back following Saul, and Saul worshiped the Lord. Then Samuel said, Bring Agag, the king of the Amalekites. And Agag came to him cheerfully. And Agag said, Surely the bitterness of death is past. But Samuel said, As your sword has made women childless, so your mother will be childless among women. And Samuel hewed out Agag to pieces before the Lord at Gilgal. Isn't that a beautiful passage? See why I didn't want to put it in my notes? Saul had pride. Saul, he'd already been rebuked by Samuel once because he didn't wait on Samuel to get there, and he made sacrifice before Samuel got there. He already disobeyed another time. Because he didn't have patience, but he had pride. Saul didn't have patience to finish what he was supposed to finish. He wanted a shortcut to pride. He was doing what God said for pride. Here's the thing, like, we can, if all of this that we're doing is just to be better than other people or to wear a Christian t-shirt, then it's pride. If it's to get the benefits, then it's pride. If it's to say, look at all the right choices I make and look how amazing my life is, it's pride. And so if all of that stuff doesn't work out the way that we think it should, then we get offended because we were doing it for pride. But if we're doing it because of promise and we have patience, then we'll endure. Here's where I believe we are. I believe this story speaks to us today. Saul was supposed to kill the Amalekites. He was supposed to destroy all of their animals, cattle, everything, and kill the king. I think it's the same assignment for us in our lives. When we are born again, our old life is supposed to die, right? You're supposed to take up your cross and follow him, and you're supposed to die, and you're supposed to be born again, and you're supposed to live a new life. All those things are supposed to die. All the things that we used to have confidence in, we're no longer supposed to have confidence in. We're not supposed to look through things through the eyes of flesh. We're supposed to look through things in the eyes of spirit. We're not supposed to make decisions on what's seen. We're supposed to be making decisions on what's unseen. Here's the trap, I believe. So we, like Saul... Take some things and make try to make them spiritual. Yeah. When we equate success in man's eyes as success in God's eyes, mm-hmm. then we make climbing a ladder spiritual. Well. Does that make sense? See, Saul, like, gave in to pressure of people, wanted to spare the king, wanted to spare the animals for pride. He wanted to do what God said, but also do what people said. He wanted to be the man everywhere, and so he wanted to do half of what God said and half of what man says, but he wanted to do what man says and make it like he was doing what God said. Does that make sense? Oh, I'm going to work 60 hours a week, forsake my family, but it's really spiritual because I'm going to tithe. That's a silly example probably, but we take things and we put God's name on it that God has nothing to do with. He asks us to kill it, and then we say, oh, I brought you a present, that thing you asked me to kill. There's a reason he asked you to kill it. Not because he's a merciless God and he doesn't want you to have things in the world. Here's the picture I got this morning and felt like the Lord told me to add it and I didn't want to. I wrestled with him till this moment. He's called us to walk by the Spirit, not by the flesh. I believe the church in America has mixed them together over and over again. I think much of what we do is what we want to do and we put his name on it. I know I preached a few weeks ago, Christians should be able to do whatever they want whenever they want, but that is when your passion is his passions, right? But we want to fulfill our passions and try to put his name on it. We want to say with it, we were making an amazing sacrifice. We're doing this, we're doing this. We think that God is super proud of us when we're on top of man's system's ladders. But he's not. So we take it and we want to mix them together and we were supposed to kill them. And then here's what I saw. This is what I think happens. Why did God say kill them all? Why did he need to kill King Agag? Why kill him? Why kill all the sheep? Why kill all the stuff? What's that bang I hear? What's that bleeding of sheep I hear? What is that noise that I hear? If you obeyed, what is that I hear? And if I hear it, everybody else hears it. So, here we are, the people guarding Agag. Right? Saul's warriors are guarding Agag. Agag starts to tell Saul's warriors, hear all those sheep? See all those beautiful animals? Because they just kept the choice ones. They killed all the bad ones. The grass is green on the other side. They only kept the green grass. And they kept the ruler over the green grass. So you see him every day, man, aren't those beautiful sheep? And then it starts to be, "You let me out of here. I'll make sure you have all the sheep you want. You put me back in my place of leadership. I'll make sure you and your family have everything you'll ever need. What's Saul doing? What's Saul doing? He killed all those animals. That was stupid. Y'all could have ate those animals. Y'all could have saved those animals. You tithed? What? Why'd you do that? This whole God thing is costing you money. What are you doing? You could have took that 10% and invested it in the banks that don't have change. <laughs> you could invest in the stock market that's so Steady. You could have invested somehow into the things of the flesh and came out so much better than you are investing in things of the Spirit. I hope you all are following my leap today. But that tyrant that came to steal, kill, and destroy your life and subject you and subjugate you and make you a slave to your flesh and man's systems of the world. If you let him live, he will take your under things, your emotions and all the little things inside of you, your man's thought processes and he will appeal to those things and he will will make a... Coup against the spirit man in you. And before you know it, you'll be bowing da- back down to the king that you were supposed to kill. Yes. Come on. Good, so in the church, I think we've let him live Come on. way too long. Yeah. And church has been about, become about a lot of the things the world is about. And success in church has been about a lot of things success in the world is about. And pastors sit around and compare numbers, and they sit around and compare things like we're CEOs of big businesses, and we allow AGAG to run our churches. Get behind me, Satan. You're thinking on man's thought processes and not God's. So, what does God historically do when we let kings live in his mercy? He lets us taste what it is to be subjugated to those kings. He lets us become slaves. He lets us taste the fruit of what we want to be our God. And our ruler. And that's what we taste. But Samuel comes when we failed to kill Agai, and the man of God comes and he cuts him in pieces. I believe God is allowing man's systems, the systems of this world, to be cut into pieces so that we'll no longer be able to mix those things together. The only faith that will stand the test is a faith that's in God alone. Not in God and man, but in God alone. So we've let him live. We've let him live, we let him live, we let him live. I kind of feel like this whole last few months is like when Samuel showed up and said, "Hey, Saul, how you doing? Blessed are you, man of God. I've just been doing what the Lord said. He says, "What's that bleeding I hear?" I believe God's been asking us over the last few months. Anybody else since? Have you been aware of bleeding? Have you been aware of sheep? Have you been aware of things? Have you felt fear and dread? Because God got weaker? Or some other thing that we had our faith in has got weaker. If our faith was the one it was in the one who never changes, why would when things change in the world will we begin to have all of the feelings everybody else is having? As I say those words I realize I think I've said those words twenty five times over the last few months. I feel like I'm preaching the same sermon. Who's the king? Yeah. Who have we let live? You see where to land today. Let me just do a, real quick, drive-by, Luke 14, 27, and anyone who comes to me must be willing to share my cross and experience it as his own, or he cannot be considered to be my disciple. So don't follow me without considering what it will cost you. For who constructs a house before first sitting down to estimate the cost to complete? Otherwise he may lay the foundation and not be able to finish. The neighbors will ridicule him saying, look at him. He started to build but couldn't complete it. In John 6, Jesus is talking to religious leaders and the disciples And he begins to tell them they have to eat his flesh and drink his blood. And many people got angry and offended and went away. They couldn't make sense of it. In verse 66, and so from that time on, many of the disciples turned their backs on Jesus and refused to be associated with him. So Jesus said to his 12, and you do not also want to leave? Someone can come play. You do, not always, you do not also want to leave? Peter spoke up and said, but Lord, where would we go? No one but you gives us the revelation of eternal life. Another translation says, you alone have words, the words of life. We're fully convinced that you are the anointed one, the Son of Of the living God, and we believe in you. I just want to say this morning, I think the key to finishing, and I want to talk a lot more about finishing and enduring, and I just really felt like I needed to bring the word from Saul. But the ticket to finishing, the ticket to killing Agag, the ticket to enduring, finishing the game is not having other choices because you truly see who he is and that he's the only way, the only truth, the only life. When it gets hard and some people are running away, you have to have such a conviction, such a revelation, such a view of him that just like these disciples in John 6, we're fully convinced that you are the son of God. Where else could we go? I would say, if you've got any other kings living, if you've got options, I would go, so if you have options... In this day and time, you'll choose any of the other options over him. I believe that's where we're at. I believe if you have confidence in any other thing, this path that we're about to walk, you'll make any choice other than that, following him. Because I promise you this lawless world is going to make all of those other choices look so much more enticing than following him. It won't make sense. It will seem counterproductive. It will seem antagonistic. It will seem that you are a hate monger. Hey, if Agag to you is being a peace keeper, then you'll be a peace keeper. He didn't call us to be peace keepers. He called us to be peacemakers. Yes, sir. He said, I came to bring a sword. This passage that many of them turned away from, he said, man, you're going to It's like you hate your own life. (laughs) Our foundation is going to have to be built. We have to understand the game if we're going to finish it. The game is not what it looks like in our culture to follow Christ. The game, is, the game is not playing church. Matter of fact, let's quit the game. And let's finish the race. It's not playing church. It's not doing all the things. It's not. I, I, I was talking to my kids oh, this week. We had to have some tough conversations with our kids. That's part of being a pastor's kid. We had to tell our kids why. People who were like your best friends or don't talk to you anymore, you know? And some people transition. God moves them and all that, and that's awesome, and that's easy things to tell them. And, and sometimes we're goofy, and we make mistakes, and we tell them that. Try to be very grace-filled in that. You never want to villainize your kids against people because just they're going to borrow your offense. That's one thing you don't want to do in ministry for sure. But my kids aren't stupid, and they'll look at some people's lives and they'll say. Just this week we had a conversation. They were like, "Well, they were making this choice, this choice, and this choice, and this choice, and they were loving it." Like they knew they were like in God's will and things were like, really, they were like coming alive and and they were seeing things transforming in their life and in their family and things were happening. And then, Dad, why all of a sudden did they quit? And, and I can only surmise most of the time that Don't say it like this to my kids, but they didn't understand the, the race. They were in it, like, many times it was because of pressure. And even though they were making right choices, they were making choices because they felt pressure to make those choices. And even they saw God blessing those choices, they still weren't making those choices because they wanted to make those choices, and they felt pressure. And then when they made a wrong choice, they felt conviction and condemnation and shame and guilt and all those things. And they had options. They were making some good choices, and they were seeing this, but at the same time, they were making these choices, and they were seeing fruit here. And I promise you, as long as you have options... The enemy of your soul has a lot to work with. Those sheep will look beautiful. Those lambs will be perfect. they will tell you, I got, I, if you let me out of this cage, I can give you more than following God will ever give you you'll let me run your life again if you'll let me just be let me be that drive again why don't you follow me again and strive to to be rich again why don't you follow me again to strive and have that relationship you want you know how to get a good relationship you know how to get a good relationship you know how to put yourself out there and get real good affection You know how to sell yourself out. You know how to do that. I've taught you this. Look at this. Just a few compromises here, and you'll get way more gratification than you could ever get in years of service there. But we need patience, not pride. We need endurance. We need to press toward the mark. Paul said, I've not laid hold of it yet, but I forget what's behind, and I press toward the mark of the high call in Christ Jesus. We have to have a vision of what it's about. We can't just be looking at what's right in front of us. We can't be looking at immediate gratification. We have to have patience to go forward. I didn't want to talk about Saul and Agai. This seems hard to me, but I tell you what, where we're going, if this comes to your mind and makes you realize that you're turning away from God and it makes you come back to him, then it'll be worth it that it was a little bit hard. I know that if Agag's been alive in my life, I can't be the only one. I can't, if if this whole process over the last few months have made me hear sheep bleeding in my own house, I can't be the only one, right? I can't be the only one. I can't be the only one that contemplates how I'm gonna make sure I have enough sheep. And I'll let whoever rule that wants to rule, that makes sure I have enough sheep. Make sure I have enough stuff. Make sure I have what I need. This is not stuff and money. You guys hope you understand. This is about affirmation. It's about affection. It's about relationship. It's about everything. How can I get what I want out of life a quicker, easier way? There will always be an answer if you're open for other options. There's a way that seems right to a man, but it ends in destruction. We have to put blinders on. We have to fix our eyes on the one who endured the cross, despising its shame for the joy that was set before him. He's the alpha and the omega. He is the author and finisher of our faith. And we look to him. We look to the prize we look to His glory being revealed that outweighs. Man, what did what does Romans say? This, this, what we're going through right now, that is not even worth comparing. Yeah. The contrast there was the, between the old temple and the new temple. There's not even a comparison of what man could make in the temple with what God is making with His hand. There's no comparison. We got to get our eyes off of now. What happened to Saul? Saul was vexed and tormented. When we let Agag live, we're vexed and we're tormented. Because all of the parts of us is listening to those lies all the time. Why let a liar live? Why let that live inside of you, tormenting you? Trying to appeal to you constantly to let him back in charge, to let him go. You guys stand up. We'll leave today. I don't usually wear a watch, but this band makes me think I got one on. Someone came to the church yesterday and asked for some help. This afternoon, I'm going to tell you about it in just a minute. And I think Teresa Bean told him we got out about 12:30, unless our pastor goes long. <laughs> we got outside, and that guy was like, "Man, y'all really bump in there on Sundays. We hear y'all's music. We love it." He said, "I just really hear the bass, though. Boom, boom, boom." Well, he said, do you do any of the music? I said, no, I'm, I'm actually the pastor. And he was like, so those people were just talking about you like that right in front of you? And I said, wouldn't you rather them talk about you in front of you than behind you? <laughs> I started really late today, though. I preached shorter than normal. Can we just lift our hands up? My dad used to make this analogy. It's a great analogy, but I just thought of it. He said, you know, there's a black dog and a white dog, and and, uh, whichever one you feed the most is the one that will live and win. You know, that's... Just now realize it's not real accurate. Why would you let one live that you're hoping loses? You know? Feed one more, that means you're feeding both some, right? I say if you feed both some, One of them will end up talking you into feeding them more. Just kill them. God, what kind of sermon is this today? (laughs) Started with the old Western movie, wasn't it? You know what I'm saying? That's how we've done this whole thing. Coming to church is about making some good choices. People say things like, I need to get back in church. Why? Why do you need to get back in church? Why do you need to get Unless you just need to go to church to, because you miss God's presence and you feel like you can't possibly just get your mind back where it needs to be unless you're in church first. But you don't have to go to church to surrender your life to Christ. Like, why do we need to go back in church? We 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 just sum this up to Bible Belt: a bunch of right choices, a bunch of right decisions, and we just try to say we're making more right choices than bad choices. Somebody pat me on the back. That's pride. I hear I hear sheep bleeding. Come on. Come on. So God, we just. Surrender our lives to you. This is the most merciful thing you can do, God, is if you would point out to us an agag in our life. I mean, it's the most merciful. We, we make this like we're martyrs when we do stuff like this. When we say we surrender all, we just open ourselves completely to you, and we just offer our life totally to you, and we ask that if you would search us and find any wicked way in us and kill it. Like we're being mart- like we're being so gracious to you God by giving you us you ransomed us, you paid for us you deserve us we owe you us and the crazy thing is you only want us so that you can make us everything that we- is in us to desire to be <laughs> We need you. Can we make surrender a request to God and not some victim thing that we're doing? Oh, I'm surrender. God, I need you to search me today. I'm desperate for you to search me. Please, oh God. Please, oh God, will you search me? And see if there's any Agags alive in me. Are there things that I have let live there for years and years and years? Are there things that I've let hang over? Are there old mindsets that have hung over? Are there things that I've allowed to be resurrected that was once dead and I killed it, but I've somehow let it be resurrected in my life? I've let it sneak back in. I've let it come back in. And I can tell that it's there because my thought processes and my emotions don't light up with one who is totally dependent on you and you alone. I'm tormented. You can have David come play the violin for you, or you can be David. The harp for you, or you can be David. Isn't that crazy? We repent for not killing a gay. We repent for keeping sheep and keeping lambs and keeping things and trying to put your name on it. Trying to say we only did it because we were going to offer it to you. We repent for disobedience. We repent for keeping these things. We repent from trying to blend our desires and man's informed by man's thinking, sitting under the counsel of the wicked and the ungodly, and we've let it it produce in us broken mindsets, and we have tried to attribute your name to those things and make it like it's your plan for our life because we want Agag to live, and we don't want him to die, and we're afraid that if we kill him, we'll never have the sheep that he had with him. We just surrender. We surrender. God, would you dig a deep foundation in me? Would you dig a deep foundation in me? I need a deep foundation. I I mean my foundation has already shaken. I thought I was building a strong house like your word calls for, but over the last few months I have been shaken. I should not have the fear. I should not have the torment. I should not have the dread that I have. I have been shaken. So, God, I'm not just going to keep building on an unsteady foundation. I'm asking today that you come in, do whatever it takes. Drill holes, pour new concrete, whatever it takes. Let's go deeper. Let's get this thing shored up because I see more storms coming on the horizon. And I can tell my foundation is not ready. I can tell my foundation is not ready. Let's make this thing deeper. Let's make this thing stronger. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this audio podcast from Redemption Life Church. Be sure to stay connected with us at Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Redemption Life.